God, we thank you so much for this day, for being able to stand together as a congregation and to worship you. And this song is true. Your name is powerful and it is wonderful. God, your name causes darkness to tremble. God, your name, it causes light to enter the room. Lord, we love you so much and we're grateful to be in your presence this morning. God, as we are listening to your word today, would you soften our hearts to it? Would you make us susceptible to the things that you have to say to us? We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. I haven't been up here in a hot minute. (laughs) Also, the worship team sounds great, don't they? Oh my goodness. Yeah, it's great. Okay, so, how you doing? Oh, we're quiet today. All right, that's fine. Whatever. I can do all of the talking for us. That's okay. Uh, I will manage my side of this relationship. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Did you spit? It's okay. I'm not gonna. Don't draw attention to it. <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> we are in. Thank you. That was so much better. Um, we are in a sermon series about prayer. Uh, And so last week, what we heard from Lindsay were four concrete truths that Jesus knew and trusted and believed that shaped the way that he prayed. And today, we're going to be talking about something that is incredibly difficult to talk about. It is quite quite usually, like, it's the elephant in the room. Uh, We're going to be talking about praying through control. Everybody just kind of shake it out. Just like, let's get loose now so we don't have to worry about it. See, you guys don't like to be controlled, right? I tell you to do something, you're like, no. (laughs) Control. So I know for sure we need to talk about it. Okay, so Lindsay last week started in Matthew 6, and she read through verse 9, and she talked to us about that phrasing, pray God our Father. And today we're going to be focusing entirely on verse 10. But let's read this prayer together, and if you know it, you can read it with me, or you can just say it from your heart. This, then, is how we should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So our focus today is going to be verse 10, which I'm going to read for you again, and it says this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, the thing about the Lord's Prayer is that a lot of us have it memorized. I'm confident that many of us sat in Sunday school and we got a sticker on that chart for memorizing this prayer. Right, we, came next, we came to the Sunday school the next week and we were like, listen, teacher, I got this. And from that moment, you remembered it, and you stored it at the back of your mind. See, I think we remember it, but we don't often think about what it means. We don't often think about what this prayer is as a guide for our prayer. We have it in the back of our minds, but we don't think about what it requires of us and what it speaks to us about God. And so this line, we look at this line of prayer by itself, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it almost takes on a newness, 
an uncomfortable sort of newness to hear it outside of Sunday school. God, your kingdom come, your will be done. And I think that the problem that we are coming up against is this issue of control. Because your kingdom come, your will be done means that it's not my way. That is a bummer for some of us. And I would say that a lot of us struggle with control whether or not we know it. We like to walk into a room with knowledge. We like to walk into situations prepared for what will happen. We don't like to be surprised. We don't like to be caught off guard because it's this question of control. If I'm not in control of this situation, then who is? If I'm not in control of this situation, how can I trust? If I'm not in control of this situation, insert anything. We like to be in control. We like to know that we can rely on ourselves. And so I'm going to tell you a story about your pastor, Lindsay. Um, <laughs> hey, uh, <laughs> so we, we are good friends, and I think that our friendship could withstand pretty much everything. You know, like we could talk it through. Some things might be a little stickier to talk through than others, but I think that our friendship could withstand a lot. However, there is one area of our lives that we continually get way too intense over. Um, see, I have this character quirk. <laughs> I think she would, yeah, she would disagree with my wording on that. I have this character quirk or flaw or defect, as it were, uh, that I love to scare people. Um, and I'm not talking about like the mean kind of scaring, like, you know, covering yourself in ketchup and pretending you got shot. <laughs> I'm talking about like jumping out from behind doors. She's glaring at me. <laughs> She's not happy with me. And so, um, you know, <laughs> I am a smart woman, okay? Maybe, again, Lindsay would disagree with that. Uh, I'm a smart woman, and so I know in our house that if I want to fulfill this desire, this need in my life to scare people, I probably shouldn't hide behind Elizabeth's door as she's studying for her black belt. <laughs> so <laughs> my attention turns to Lindsay. And there was a particular time in, a couple weeks ago uh, that I got her really good. And she went to the bathroom, and I knew that I had just a couple minutes to figure out where I was going to hide and how I was going to do it, how I was going to approach the scream, you know, like more of a roar or more of like, ah, you know, like, I don't know, because it's very complicated. You know, scary people is very complicated. And so while she was in the bathroom, I went into her bedroom and I hid on the side of her bed. I put myself between her, her bed and the wall um, and I waited. And I heard the bathroom door open and I knew just from like the, the pregnant pause, I knew that she was looking for me. <laughs> and I also knew that Elizabeth was trying to warn her, but quietly, you know, because she doesn't want to get in the middle of it, was trying to warn her. And I, like, can I just tell you guys, I don't think I've ever felt a more incredible feeling than the feeling of the person that you are waiting to scare, looking for you, and they can't find you. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> it's an overwhelming sense of joy. <laughs> Just like, I got her this time, you know? And so she walked into her room and I could tell she was scanning, like, what's out of place? Is she behind my door? Is she in the closet? Uh, no. And I was looking at her feet underneath the bed. Creepy, I know. Uh, <laughs> whatever. I was looking at her feet underneath the bed, and like, you could just tell that some of the tension left her. And she was starting to feel more at ease in her room. Like, well, she's, she can't be in my room because I checked the most logical places. I checked where she normally hides and I wasn't there. 
That is also a feeling of extreme joy. Wow, <laughs> maybe I'm a psycho. <laughs> we can all go home. No, so her back was turned to the bed, and so I slowly and quietly sat myself up, and then I screamed. <laughs> And she jumped and she yelled, and I knew that I was in trouble because Lindsay's response is usually one of violence to that. And so she ran out of her room, and I was like, oh no, I have a matter of seconds to wedge, like get up from where I'm wedged and to, to make sure that the door is closed. And so I locked myself in her room. And I could hear her banging on the outside, let me in my room, get out! <laughs> and she had the squirt bottle. <laughs> and she started squirting my feet under the door. And finally, the storm calmed for a minute. And I said, okay, I'm going to open this door real quick and I'm going to make a, a run for it from my room. Uh, and so I opened the door and I got squirted directly in the eye. <laughs> See, this issue is one that, like, if we come to church and we're not talking one week, I can almost promise you it's because I scared her real good. <laughs> it's because I actually made her poop her pants this time. <laughs> and so, isn't this, though, a picture of control? No. Yes, it is. <laughs> Today, <laughs> you are a picture of control. <laughs> isn't this a perfect picture of control, though? Because isn't it just when we start to feel comfortable that things start to get crazy? Just when we've mastered that routine, I know, I'm a psycho. Just when we've mastered that routine at work, that something blows up in our faces. Isn't it just when we start to feel at ease in our relationships with people or in our relationship with God that it all falls apart? Or in Lindsay's case, you poop your pants. <laughs> she, didn't, she didn't actually, it's just funny. And isn't our first response when we feel out of control of a situation to struggle and fight for control of the situation? Isn't our first response to run to the squirt bottle, just take care of the situation, end it right there, right now? See, we have a problem with control. And I think that this story illustrates our most common our most common line of reasoning when it comes to navigating situations that we are not in control of. But the problem is almost never control. The problem is that we equate control with security. We equate control with security. We think, if I'm in control of this situation, then it's handled. Because you know who I can trust better than anybody else in the room? Myself. So we equate control with security. And so we find ourselves in a predicament. Because if this phrase is what we're talking about today, this phrase, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven, if that's what we are meant to pray, we're kind of at a crossroads, aren't we? We are creatures who love control, who strive for control, who are being told to let it go. Ugh. I don't know how that sits with you, but that challenges me. And maybe some of you are thinking, well, if this prayer wasn't from Jesus himself, then it would be irrelevant. And I would say that you're wrong. We could try to make that, that work for us, right? Maybe if Paul said this, if Mark said this, if John said this, if any of the other disciples or apostles said this, we could say, well, that's a good, that's a good guideline, but it's not the standard 
And it kind of stings that this comes from Jesus. Right? Because of course Jesus would pray this. Of course, Jesus, you would pray, God, our will be done. Right? Of course, you, Jesus, would say, well, you got to give up control. Right? And I think sometimes we make the mistake of thinking that Jesus was immune to the movement of God. That Jesus chose every single part and parcel of what he was handed in this world. And I would say that that's true on the one hand. He did choose to die for us. But there is a lot about Jesus' life that he never chose. And we see this same phrase crop up in an hour of need, in an hour of desperation, in an hour just before Jesus is crucified and killed when he is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. We see this phrase from the Lord's Prayer. In Luke twenty-two forty-two, it says this, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And that phrase, not my will, but yours be done, that's humbling. And that's frustrating. Because Jesus didn't just teach it, he lived it. And so in this moment where, where a lot was riding on his decision, a lot was riding on whether or not he wanted to be in control of the situation, he chose surrender. And so this is a prayer that we have to pray knowing with all confidence that what could stand on the other side of it could be a lot, could be more than we can handle. What stood on the other side of that prayer, Lord, not my will but yours, for Jesus was death. But he walked palms open into a situation that he had no control over. He had no control over how he would be beaten before being hung on a cross. He had no control over who would win his robe and crown in a game of lots. He had no control over the exact moment that he died. He couldn't make it swift and painless. He had no control over how many people would see him, king of the Jews, hanging on a cross in what must have looked to them like humiliation. Jesus walked into a situation with no control but with an immense amount of trust knowing that God's way was better than his way. And so this phrase, your kingdom come, your will be done, it has to mean more than just giving up control. Because how can you give up control and still maintain security if it's all in you? So this phrase, it has to mean something different. Our security has to be found somewhere other than ourselves. It has to be wrapped up in somebody else who can handle it. Our security cannot be wrapped up in our control. And when we pray this prayer, that's what we're giving up. We're giving up control. We're giving up the idea that we're secure when we're in control. And when we think about it, has that ever really been true for you? Think of a situation where you had control, but your security was still in question. I think about this a lot. So you've heard from Pastor Lindsay about her restorative prayer session, and you've heard from Pastor Kurt this morning about his, and now I'm going to tell you about mine. Um, I was the first one of our team uh, to go through a restorative uh, prayer session. Sorry, pression, restorative pression. Thinking about changing that. Um, (laughs) I was the first one to be voluntold. (laughs) And I was hopeful about what it could mean walking through a session like that. But I didn't fully understand the freedom that could happen on the other side of it. 
And I also didn't fully understand the pain that I would have to walk through. We walk through memories of abuse, of abandonment. Um, we walk through a memory where I watched my parents' relationship fall apart and I felt like it was my fault. We walked through some incredibly painful memories. And if you remember Pastor Lindsay talking about her session, she mentioned the same thing. The pain that comes with walking through those things. But there was such freedom and healing. And going back to those places, forgiving those people, forgiving myself for being in those situations. But what I want to share with you about today is the other half of whatever store pressure restorative prayer session is. I keep calling it oppression. Oh, anyway, <laughs> so the other half of it, one half of it is walking through and healing memories, and the other half is a deliverance part. And when I say deliverance, I know that some of you conjure in your mind uh, pictures of exorcisms and of crazy, scary movies that you've seen where, where just wild stuff has happened, and that's not what I mean. All of this is done gently in the Holy Spirit. Our voices aren't even raised when we do this, but we walk through this deliverance portion. And we had gotten rid of a couple of spirits already. A spirit of abandonment, a spirit of anger, um, and a spirit of shame. And then we came up against something that I didn't even know was going on in my life. Um, see, I had made a vow to myself when I was young. I grew up in a house uh, where I was abused, and I had made a vow to myself after one of those times, and the vow was something like this, I will never let myself be hurt like that again. And I will tell you that after I made that vow, my life did change. It did. Because everything moved to what I thought was my control. My life did change. The pain never stopped, and the hurt never stopped, and I was still never in control of the abuse but what did change was my vulnerability. I never cried in front of anybody. I wouldn't let anybody see that they had gotten to me. I never expressed my feelings, my emotions, in a group of people, even if it was just to a couple. And any time that I would try to do that, it seemed like there was a wall. I could only get so far after that. See, I had let control consume my life so much so that I was no longer in control of it. And there's a word for that in scripture. And that word is idolatry. I had let an idol creep in. And in fact, I had invited it in by making a vow to myself as a little girl. I will never let myself be hurt like that again. And coming up against that in this restorative prayer session was a moment where my life changed. And I'm sure that you guys have noticed it and didn't even know that you were noticing it. Remember the last time I preached when I cried on the stage? I never would have done that. Pre-restorative prayer session, Valerie wouldn't have done that because I thought that vulnerability was weakness. See, that's what these restorative prayer sessions are about. It's about removing anything that deigns to take the place of Jesus in your life. It's about moving away from control. And that's really what that came down to was a matter of control. If I can control the abuse, then I can control the situation. I can control how I feel about it. I can control my future. But instead, what happened was the opposite. It began to control me. I lived in a constant cycle of thinking through these traumatic things that had happened. 
of letting them have so much power that I couldn't be vulnerable. I lost my ability to connect with people, to speak with people. I lost my ability to be vulnerable. Thankfully, with a lot of surrender and a lot of asking for forgiveness from myself, we worked through that. And we were able to get rid of that from my life. And I will tell you that on the other side of that, I have never felt more free just to feel my feelings in my whole life than I do now. And that is such an incredible blessing to me because that happened when I was young, when I was very young. And so for all of this talk about control, about where our security is found, it wasn't until I, I met that idol in prayer that I really and truly could say to you that my security is found in Christ. It's no longer found in control. It's no longer found in how much control or say I have in a situation It's found in Christ because my identity has changed, which is such a holy and a blessed thing. So for those of us who struggle this morning with control and with this conversation about security, what do we do? Right, because mine was restored in a restorative prayer session, but, but what can we do today? How can we walk in this today? There is really good news for you. <laughs> there is a story in scripture that has a lot to do with control, and it's found in Matthew 14. And before I launch into it, we're going to be talking about Peter walking on water and what a beautiful miracle that is. But before we launch into that, I need you to know that right before this, Peter witnessed incredible miracles. Do you remember the story of the fishes and the loaves? The two fishes and the five loaves of bread that fed over 5,000 people because the 5,000 people were just men who were gathered. The women and children weren't counted. It was over 5,000 people that the Lord was able to feed with a surrendered two fish and five loaves of bread. And that's incredible. Peter was witness to this. And this story happens right after that. Okay, read with me. Verse 22. Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd, the same crowd that he had just fed. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. See, there's a lot going on in this story, but I want to focus on the last half of it. Just the part where Peter says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. See, Peter already knew who was in control of this situation. He already knew. He knew that outside of God's will, he couldn't walk on water. 
And so that's where we get that verse. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Peter knew who was in control of this situation. See, isn't this so much like us? We already know that God is in control, and yet we stress about it. We already know God is in control, and yet when it comes time for us to walk on the water, we say, well, God, surely you don't mean this moment too. Surely you don't mean this. God, I know that you're in control, but I think I can do a lot of good by stressing about it. I know that you're in control, but man, if I try to fix it myself, I'm sure I can do a better job. We know who's in control because we live a life that is out of control. The only thing, this is the boil down point from this section, okay? The only thing that we are in control of is making steps toward Jesus. That is the only thing. And you may not think about it a lot, and maybe for some of you it'll give you a little ping of anxiety for me to say it, and I'm so sorry if that's the case. You live in an out-of-control world. The problem has never been control. The problem has been a problem of will. I can't control how another person drives in traffic. I can't control red lights. I can't control how my boss responds to me when I bring a concern to him. I can't control, insert here, I can't control whether or not the washer gives me all of my socks back. <laughs> we live a life that is out of control, and so the problem can't be control. The problem has never been control. The problem is our will. The problem is that we have a choice, and we often make the wrong one. The only thing that we are in control of is making steps toward Jesus. See, it wasn't until Peter stopped and he looked away from Jesus and at the wind and the waves that he began to sink. Peter was in control of his steps toward Christ, and I am confident, Anchor, that if he continued to walk and ignored the wind and the waves, that he would have made it the whole way walking on that water. But here's the problem. Did Peter not know that there was a storm before he stepped out of the boat? Of course he knew. He had spent the whole afternoon being tossed around in this storm in a boat. And so where was that faith that caused him to get out of the boat in the first place? Where did it go? In a moment of distraction, he let the wind and the waves take a moment of joy, take a moment of glory. He let the wind and the waves that he already knew were there take him down. We are only in control of the steps we make toward Jesus. And the second thing is this. Jesus could have responded in any way to Peter in this moment, and he would have been justified. Jesus could have said, Peter, you have little faith, and let him sink. And when he's walking toward the boat, just snagged his robe and threw him in. But that's not what happened, is it? Instead, Jesus reaches out a hand when Peter calls to him. So the second thing is this. Security comes from calling on the Lord. There's your control. There's your security. The only thing that we are in control of is making steps toward Christ. And our security comes from calling on the Lord. 
And this is not just in the story of Peter walking on water, though it's certainly a perfect example. This is also in the story of Christ when he's in the garden praying. How could Jesus have known that that moment would mean so much to us? This moment of humanity where he says, God, I don't want to do this, but not my will, yours. And you know what happened after that? The veil was torn. And directly because of that, we have the Holy Spirit. What an incredible gift and blessing. And yes, Jesus knew that it was coming. But it started with a moment of surrender. It started where Jesus himself took a step toward God and he called out to the Lord. Because the Lord is our security. That is where our security comes from. And this happened in my story. I was drowning in myself. I was drowning in my doubt. I was drowning in idolatry. And it wasn't until I called on the Lord that my security was found. And it wasn't until I called on the Lord that he met me there. And he reached out a hand to walk me through that. Our security comes from calling on the Lord. And we see this all over scripture. This is not just Peter's story or Jesus' story or my story. This is the story of scripture everywhere. Psalm 91 says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, My refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Psalm 9 And those who know your name put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you, those who call out to you. Ephesians 1, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. When you called on the Lord, he sealed you. This is everywhere. John 12, Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Over and over again, we see that the Lord wants us to rely on him for our security, and that's what this prayer from Jesus is. It's a surrender of control, and it's an embracing of security. It's saying, God, I'm not in control, but I want your will to be done on this earth. I'm not in control, but I trust you. I trust that your kingdom coming to this earth is the best thing that could ever happen. I trust that when you say that I can call on you and you will be there, you will be there. Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Inker, if if you struggle with control, um, if you heard any part of yourself or your story in mine, or in the story of Jesus, or in the story of Peter, um, a restorative prayer session might be the best thing for you. It might be the best way that you can take a huge step of faith toward Christ to call on the Lord, because that's what restorative prayer is. It's taking steps of faith toward Jesus with a group of people and calling on his name, calling, Father, help me rescue me from the things that weigh me down. Help me to walk on water. I would encourage you during this prayer series to think about what your next step with Jesus is. And if you have no idea what that next step is, 
There is no better way to find that out than to get down on your knees and to call out to the Lord who is your security. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you so much for your word that is holy and true and that shines light. God, I thank you so much for the power of prayer, for this tool that you've given us to communicate to you, to communicate with the people around us. Lord, would you help us? Would you help us make steps toward you because that's all that we can control in this life? Jesus, would all of us make a step toward you? And God, would we trust, would we rest in the security that comes from calling on you, that comes from knowing that you show up when we ask you to? God, we love you so much. And we praise you for this new ministry. We praise you for a new way to engage in restoring hope because that's what this ministry does. God, we love you.